This world is filled with many unique creatures that inhabit specific regions of the globe. And while we see many of these animals in zoos, there are still plenty more that we're not familiar with. Let's meet some of them. Stay tuned. What lives in shallow, warm waters and was mistaken for a mermaid? This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Dugong, Fusa, Ai-Ai. Although these words may sound foreign, they're actually the names of some unusual wild creatures. But do the unique and strange characteristics of wild animals prove evolution, or do they showcase part of God's wonderful creation? Stay tuned for the next 15 minutes as we learn about some fascinating and uncommon wild creatures. Some of the creatures we're discussing today may be familiar to you, while others we present will surprise you. Interestingly, all the animals we're featuring on this broadcast are on the endangered species list. ICR Museum curator Cindy Carlson says the first two creatures she'll be talking about are very similar but live in different parts of the world. What lives in shallow, warm waters of the Atlantic and Indo-Pacific coasts eats seagrasses and other aquatic vegetation and was mistaken for a mermaid by early European explorers. If you said a manatee or a dugong, you were right. North Americans would be more familiar with the manatee that inhabits Atlantic coast and Australians and other Indo-Pacific peoples would be more familiar with the dugong. The dugong is slightly different in that its snout is downturned and it has a forked tail. Manatees have a straight snout and a rounded tail. Dugongs are also smaller, reaching a maximum length of 11 feet and a maximum weight of 800 pounds. Manatees can reach 13 feet and a maximum weight of 3,000 pounds. Since manatee and dugong diets consist only of leafy greens, their bodies were created with the ability to process this kind of vegetation. Leaves are difficult to digest, and so they have to have special digestive systems to digest them. Most of their body cavity is intestine. And uh, I was telling you about the special digestive systems that they have. Well, this one is very long and that way it gives them a long time to get all the nutrients out of the, the um, leaves that they eat. The next animal that Cindy Carlson tells us about is also a leaf eater. But his life is a world apart from the warm water dwelling manatee and dugong. Which one of God's creatures lives in the tropical rainforest, looks sort of like a monkey with no ears, climbs on the underside of branches, and has two more neck vertebrae than a giraffe. If you said three-toed sloth, you guessed correctly. These are really interesting animals that live high up in the rainforest canopy, usually above 100 feet in the rainforest canopy. And, of course, a sloth is so named because it moves slowly. As a matter of fact, this is part of its defense from predation. They are extremely hard to see. And, like the manatee and dugong, the three-toed sloth was also created with a special digestive system because of his green diet. Sloths eat many species of leaves in the rainforest, and the rainforest has a very rich tree species. Sloths have a many-chambered stomach, very much like a cow. 
and it enables them to digest nutrients out of leaves, which again is a very difficult thing to do. Besides eating green, the three-toed sloth is also covered in green. They have long hair with grooves in it that grows algae. The algae camouflages them. When it's wet in the rainforest, the algae is green. And when it's dry in the rainforest, the algae is brown. And so the, the sloth turns colors with the leaves. And they also are like a microhabitat because on any one sloth, they'll find up to 900 beetles and assorted moths and other things. It's a whole microhabitat. Leaving the tropical rainforests of Central and South America, we now proceed to four small Indonesian islands in the South Pacific where we find the deadly Komodo dragon. Jeff Laborda is professor of biology at Manatee Community College in Florida. He describes this horrendous beast. The Komodo is a terrestrial lizard, in other words, a land lizard, and it's uh, earthen red to kind of dark gray in color. Uh, it gets darker as it gets older in age. They can grow up to about 10 feet or so in length, which is about 3 meters, with males usually being a lot larger than the females. Females only grow to about 6 feet, which is about 2 meters in length. The Komodo dragon, they have short, powerful limbs, a powerful tail, and very sharp claws. And they can weigh up to about 365 pounds, which is roughly 164 kilograms, with males being a lot heavier than the females, females maxing out only about 125 pounds. They are known to live in the wild to about 20 to 50 years of age, with some reports listing their age up to as much as 100 years. And Komodo dragons have big appetites for meat. The larger ones have been known to eat up to 80% of their body weight in a single meal. Komodos are opportunistic carnivores, which means they're meat eaters, and their saliva is known to contain several strains of very dangerous bacteria, which in turn can cause severe infection that can lead to blood poisoning and death in as little as one to five days. They are known to eat animals such as monkeys, livestock, deer, wild boar, sea turtle eggs. Komodos have been known to actually dig up freshly buried humans and eat their remains. Uh, their sense of smell is so keen that they can detect the scent of carrion, which is rotting meat, uh, as far away as five miles. And they have also been known to hunt in large packs and bring down large prey. But their hunger for meat is not easily satiated, as they will turn on their own hatchlings. The Komodo dragon buries their eggs as deep as 30 feet, which is about 9 meters underground. Now, when the young dragons hatch, they begin their long journey up to the surface of the ground, and then they quickly need to climb up into trees where they live the early portion of their life. If they don't get up into those trees quickly, they are eaten up by their cannibalistic elders. It's time to head out and visit an island off the east coast of Africa called Madagascar, where many interesting creatures live. Dr. Job Martin of the Incredible Creatures That Defy Evolution video series introduces us to a couple of these unique animals. One of those is called a fusa. Most people have never heard of a fusa. 
it's spelled like Fossa, like F-O-S-S-A, but pronounced Fusa. They aren't quite sure what it is, I guess. Originally, they thought that it was a member of the cat family, and uh, it looks like a mountain lion. The body looks like a mountain lion, has a long tail. As far as the size of it goes, it's less than three feet long, but its tail is as long as its body. But it has a nose like a pit bull. If you just look it right in the face, it kind of looks like the snout of the nose of a pit bull. And this tree-dwelling creature, though not very big, is mighty ferocious. It'll kill anything that uh, has a heartbeat, actually. Matter of fact, uh, when they're down on the ground, they've been known to kill wild boars like five times their size. And they think that as short a time as about 1,500 years ago, they had some of these fooses. They found some bones, and they think they might have weighed up to 200 pounds and had a body as long as six feet long. The next resident of Madagascar that we'll meet isn't aggressive like the Fusa, but nonetheless, this little creature is greatly feared by the people who live near it. They thought the eyes were all extinct, but in 1961, they found one, and then they discovered, I guess, how to find them. But the reason they don't find them very much is, down there in Madagascar, the the eye is a symbol of death. The, the people that live there think if an eye comes into your village that someone in the village is going to die, or the whole village is going to be destroyed. And so they try to kill the eye before it gets into the village if they see one. So they're also on the endangered list because a lot of people think that they're an evil omen, so to speak. So what kind of an animal is the eye? It's a primate. So it's in the monkey family. It has huge ears, and there's a reason for that, because it also has hands or paws i guess they're they're like hands they have long fingers but the middle digit looks like a big piece of wire sticking up out of its hand it's about three times longer than any of the other fingers or digits and so what it does is it'll take that wire-like finger and tap on trees and stumps and different things and it'll tap on it and then it'll be able to hear if there's a grub crawling around down in that tree somewhere its ears are so sensitive. And so then it'll use its teeth, its front teeth, they're called incisors, and it'll chew into the tree until it hits the tunnel where the grub lives, and then it'll stick that long, wiry finger. It has a real sharp claw on the end, like a big, long, skinny, sharp fingernail, and it'll stab the grub and drag it out of there and eat it. And it kind of takes the place of woodpeckers. There's no woodpeckers there in Madagascar, and so the the I.I. is doing things that woodpeckers normally would do. Dr. Martin says the I.I.'s special features, including teeth that never stop growing, make for a good argument against evolution. What kind of an ancestor would you have for a, a primate with a, a digit that looks like a piece of wire sticking out of its hand and front teeth that continue to grow, which is very good that they do because that's how it has to eat if it just wore them down and they never grew out again it, it would it would probably die pretty soon because it it couldn't get its food well then it wouldn't be able to evolve if it was dead it wouldn't be able to somehow over millions of years evolve the ability to uh, make those teeth grow and so it had to have those kind of teeth from the very beginning it had to have that wiry finger from the very beginning it had to have those big ears, very sensitive ears from its very beginning. 
And all of that had to be there all at the same time, or you just don't have an eye-eye. From the gentle manatee, dugong, three-toed sloth, and eye-eye, to the ferocious fusa and Komodo dragon, the creator supplied all of his creation with the attributes needed to survive. And, in his grace, he also supplies mankind with the free gift of salvation. Our God, the God of the Bible that created all these things, who loves us all so much that he sent his Son, the Lord Jesus, right down here into this creation, which he had made, to take the penalty for our sin, to die for us on the cross. He sent him down here, and he rescued us, so to speak, when we put our faith and trust in him. He's rescued us from having all these superstitions and these fears, and we can go about our life, and we can and just appreciate the great things that our Creator has done and the things that he's made, like the I.I. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.